Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome back to the Prospects interview. I'm Stephanie Boland, Head of Digital here at Prospect Magazine, and this week we'll be talking to journalist and writer Hepzibah Anderson about veganism. Hepzibah wrote a feature for our latest issue, which you can read online now, about the rise of plant-based diets in the age of environmental catastrophe. In it, she explored the history of veganism, how it's travelled from being the interest of a fringe group to a mainstream craze and what academics really think about the popular claims that a vegan diet can help us combat climate change. Before I meet her, I'm joined here in the studio by our Deputy Editor, Steve Bloomfield. Hi, Steve. Hello, Steph. Are you second week of January deep in the doldrums right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not quite, not quite. I'm always a an optimistic person, uh, even when the weather is grey and miserable. Are you feeling that second week of January slump right now? Not quite, no. I'm, I'm sort of slightly slumped on the slumped on the sofas here uh, in the prospect offices. Uh, but no, uh, inside I feel peppy. Peppy? Yes, yes. Peppy, is that due to kind of... New Year's resolutions? Are you not drinking, going to the gym, eating only plants? <laughs> not quite. No, I'm not really. I'm not really a resolutions kind of person. Um, mainly because I would never actually stick to them. I'm more of a let's see if there are certain things I can try to do to try to improve my life. But yeah, you know, let's not get too sort of uh, too worried whether whether they're permanent or not. It's interesting, isn't it? I think there are two types of people when it comes to January, and I'm more like you, almost just because of spending two weeks on the sofa at Christmas. I have to start moving my body again because <laughs> I can feel everything kind of ossifying. But some people are really good at it. And it's quite funny, this piece of Hepzibah's became one of our most read stories just after Christmas, presumably from people Googling veganism news resolution should i be a vegan yeah. <laughs> should i be a vegan yeah i mean that was um shall i be honest about this? yes i mean that was obviously one reason why we commissioned it for uh, for around this time of year is because it is around the time where uh, people start thinking about thinking about their diets and what they want to do and i think the thing that i found fascinating about this and when hepsbar and i first had this this conversation about writing something about veganism and 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 the reasons for it we wanted to sort of get beyond the ooh, what's veganism like it's become a new trend why is that because i think those pieces you know have been done very well elsewhere and think more about well now it's here what does that actually mean because it's not as as she i'm sure will explain to you like it's 
it's not as straightforward as you know becoming a vegan makes everything makes climate change better or it helps deal with climate change or helps deal with the uh, the way the world works uh, and it was really important to try and explore those those different those different issues sometimes competing issues it's funny isn't it how you can take on something like that take on all of the complexity but you do end up boiling it down to a okay the call i'm going to make is not to do that anymore and now to do this thing or dry january not try not to have a prosecco and mince pie every evening at 5 p.m like i have been <laughs> doing <laughs> complete abstinence exactly it's ab- abstinence that's it it's like you know that, that that's what we're we're being told to do in january it's, it's dry january don't drink for all of january it's veganary Am I saying that right? Veganry. I thought it was veganuary. But... Veganuary. <laughs> how, however, you want to. Well, that's part of their problem with their branding. No one quite knows how to say it. But again, it's like you know, going vegan for January. Uh, obviously, with then you know the aim. I'm sure sort of the people behind both those campaigns is that you then have dry February. And uh, how can you even say vegan February? But you know, what I mean, like you continue with that. Whereas I think for most people, it's more of a, well, I will maybe decide to drink a little bit less or have only one cup of coffee a day, or maybe just eat meat at the weekends. Those tend to be the sort of diets that are perhaps uh, a bit more successful. Or come into the office and go, I was going to buy less coffees from the lovely coffee stand on Strutton Ground. Yeah, I, maybe. I know. I lasted like an hour in the office on the first day back before I was like, <laughs> Day yeah, one, 11 no, a.m. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a coffee. To be fair though, I wanted the walk as well. It's, it's the walk. Okay, walk so it's, so it's kind of offsetting yeah, yeah, of yeah, your, yeah, of yeah, your yeah, resolutions. Exactly. Of course, as somebody who grew up Catholic, this is all just Lent repackaged an, an my mind length. but we'll okay, yeah we'll um we'll put that aside for a minute thank you steve let's move away from the links between your coffee drinking habits and the planet and and move on to our main interview with hepstar hello and welcome back to the prospect interview where i'm joined by journalist hepstar anderson Hepzibar, you write a regular column for our magazine exploring the many faces of the modern family. But in this month's issue, you also took on a longer issue looking at two, should we say, hot topics right now, veganism and climate change. What made you want to take on this subject? Well, um, as someone who is is kind of a foodie without, you know, not that serious a foodie, but I I like to um, keep up on nutritional trends and uh you know veganism was very exciting for me because um as a person who works from home I'm I'm quite I I rely on snacks and (laughs) veganism suddenly was invading the um the junk food aisle so it seemed like a a healthy option for all of us who who fuel ourselves on snacks and caffeine um so veganism had, had caught my attention that way and you know like most sentient thinking individuals I'm desperately worried about climate change um, and I had become really interested in the way that veganism had gone in a really short space of time from being a totally fringe hair shirt movement all about denial um, and, you know, a very all-encompassing way of life to a sort of Instagrammable lifestyle choice embraced by people who I would not ordinarily have thought of as vegans. And it all made me, I, I should also add that, uh, you know, when I was about eight, I became a vegetarian and kept that up for at least 20 years and 
frankly, I'm basically still a vegetarian, but but just lacking the beliefs. But the habit is is very ingrained. And I remember how hard it was to eat in an interesting way, you know, right up until my teens and beyond. And now it's so easy. I'm a vegetarian and, and have been for about a decade. So I've I've got slightly different period of reference to you. Um, we can come back to that. I'm just I'm so glad you brought in there this idea of these fringe groups and different iterations of veganism that have happened in this country over the years. Your essay in the magazine goes right back to is it 1944? So a really early 1944. Yes, and Leicester. So you know, so fringy. It's not even London. <laughs> We're going to get letters. Thank you. Oh, I know. <laughs> Uh, yes, so, you know, in the in, in the middle of a war, towards the end of a war, admittedly, but, you know, still a long, grim stretch, and indeed that would go on be, beyond into peacetime in terms of um, nutritional restrictions. Uh, you know, the, the rest of the population is, is be, has been denied all sorts of food for a long time, thanks to rationing. Um, and, and this man named Donald Watson, 34-year-old woodwork teacher, and half a dozen or so of his friends, got together and uh, as committed members of the vegetarian society I think um, decided that they really needed to solidify their brand of vegetarianism which was non-dairy vegetarianism and they wanted a new name for themselves they wanted an identity they wanted I, I think they'd they'd had a, st- a bit of a standoff with the vegetarians um, they'd wanted their own section of the vegetarian newsletter their journal and they've been told no so they were a hardcore radical splinter group meeting in 1944 in Leicester and they they came up with various different names and including um, my favorite one of my favorites was um, dairy bands which just sounds so like something out of a Margaret Atwood dystopian novel Um, (laughs) but didn't stick veganism essentially just a shortening of vegetarian vegan was a I think it was just meant to be a placeholder name initially so that they could get their first newsletter out and it has stuck I love how similar this is to sort of every progressive dispute if you've ever been on a committee or a school board or anything like that or you wouldn't give a space in the newsletter so we've had to create a a complete fringe group it's so familiar isn't it yeah exactly um donald watson you mentioned is this woodworker figure Mm. he's quite an eccentric character isn't he he's a wonderfully eccentric character um and i i I sort of feel that they probably all were and i think there was a uh, sorry among the others involved were a husband and wife um there was another woman who was who was quite key but frustratingly little all you can find out about her is that she's been overlooked that's all you can find out. lots of references to the overlooked um and her name which of course i've completely forgotten um but but yes donald watson was a fantastic character and he although veganism back then was it, it didn't make the claims that are made today and in lots of ways it was more modest but it was also you know quite radical and it, 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 there was no blurring of the edges there were no excuses you know you either were a vegan or you were not a vegan and of this flexitarianism and it, it didn't make the amazing health claims that you know oh, we're getting bandied about today but nevertheless he did say you know he could cycle 250 miles a day and he could dig this was what got me as a, as a novice allotment keeper he could dig for 10 hours a day on his allotment that's quite incredible yes and also he was so this is this is how deep the vegan ethos goes he would use a fork rather than a spade because he thought it was it would it would likely kill fewer oh. earthworms yeah yeah kind of i'm picturing the exactly the ch- yeah. we're both doing the kind of yeah. motion right now less of a blade less of a guillotine for all those worms i mean and you're right that's so different to 
where we're at today. I mean, we're yes. recording this in January or Veganuary. Deep in the As it has now been yes. rebranded. And like you said, there's all these kinds of different health claims mm. and it's quite trendy and... Very trendy, yeah. It's, it's all pure, it's clean. But on the other hand, you know, and I think, you know, we talked about the term veganism, but the other term that's been bandied around now is, is plant-based, isn't it? Which seems to have pulled off this amazing marching coup and is now peddling quite persuasively you know, very contradictory claims so it's at once pure and clean and yet it's also you know sort of down and dirty and it's an indulgent and it's it's fueling this torrent of you know oozy scrumptious delicious extravagant sort of gluttonous frankly uh instagram images which are so at odds with everything that i think those of us who were even vegetarians uh grew up thinking of veganism as yeah, I'm not sure, depending on where you live, how much of this you'll have seen. Um, where I live in London, it's completely transformed our local yep. area. Everywhere. You have this place called Temple of Satan, yeah. spelled S-E-I-T-E-N, yes. I want to say, um, which is quite like tofu. It's a pressed wheat. Yeah, is that a right? Lot of pun- a lot of punning. A lot involved. of punning. Yeah. And this is kind of... Um, like you say, fast food, big cheesy burgers, hot sauce, things like that. And then you have um, go to your clean green restaurant with yeah. plants all up the wall and yeah. get your get your your vegan shake and vegan yeah. um, nut bites of some kind. Yeah. So, what is the line in in marketeers' mind, if not in reality, between something that is plant based and something that is vegan? Well, I think the I think plant based a little like mock meat, which is part of it but it's well, slightly different actually which we'll get onto later so not to confuse things plant-based really is i think in marketers minds being targeted at meat eaters so it's people who might for health reasons or for just because it's a new trend and they like to be down with the new trends or indeed for you know serious-minded environmental reasons are trying to cut back on meat so it's it's sort of not it's not really threatening it's it's it, it's veganism light really isn't it um and i think that you know if you are a committed vegan then these, these are difficult times yes yeah, so towards the end of last year i think there was a, a legal legal action was taken against burger king because a vegan had strolled into his local burger king and very excitedly presumably hurrah i can eat in burger king ordered the plant-based uh, patty which contains no meat in theory but turns out to have been cooked on the same grill as the meat-based patties and so when burger king rolled out this month here in the uk their meat-free meatless patty they also said that you know it's not suitable for vegans because it's cooked side by side with the with the beef patties so it's it's you know it's it's probably a dicey times to be a real committed vegan because you know but the other thing we forget is that you know if you're a proper vegan and i do use that term in a way that might perhaps offend the people who are just dabbling um but you know it's not just what kind of garden utensils you use you're not gonna you're also not going to you're not gonna wear pearls you're not gonna wear silk it's really anything that 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 you feel is exploiting an animal yeah i've got my leather boots on right now so i'm kind of guiltily trying to tuck them tuck them (laughs) under the chair i'm sure there's a plethora (laughs) alternative out there there will be there'll be a fantastic one um it's that's interesting coming from your perspective i mean like you say you were vegetarian for a very long time and now I suppose, although you know you've done your time, you've been very committed to this. You've ended up in something like that, slightly flexitarian yes, position. Definitely, definitely. And also, it's, you know, it's a really hard habit to break, just from a sort of squeamishness point of view. Plus, I didn't when I did 
drop vegetarianism it turns out I didn't know how to cook meat because I'd never as an adult been a meat eater Um, so (laughs) and you know although I had many years in which to acquire those skills I I haven't so uh, largely uh you know I'll eat some I'll eat some fish and some white meat but um but I do you know I do remember being banned by my mum from telling my little sister about veganism because she was terrified that my sister who was more radical than me in anything even at you know the age of five would become a vegan and she did indeed spend a whole winter going to school in jelly sandals so because she'd, she'd refused leather <laughs> you know i wasn't allowed to talk about vegetarianism with my younger <gasps> the same younger brothers and sisters exact yeah. same reason that i might radicalize their um, their young minds they're much younger um and it was always a risk that was that was there but it's interesting because even my gym instructor who i follow on instagram is kind of oh, posting i'm trying to be more plant-based yes. at this time of year it's, it's a lifestyle thing isn't it which uh, you know, it's, I think if we're talking about veganism as a tool to help avert climate catastrophe, then, you know, whatever gets people on board, frankly, I don't think we are in a position in 2020 to quibble with people, the purity of people's motives. And I think that has been really interesting because, you know, the, the vegan activists have spent a long time trying to scare and largely guilt people into embracing veganism with, you know, torrents of truly grim almost pornographically revolting videos involving the mistreatment of animals all of which is true but you know it's it's i think it's very easy for people just to block that out whereas if you're selling them something that that it's it's positioned itself as enhancing your choice rather than restricting it and traditionally veganism was all about self-denial and you know can't have this can't have this can't have this and i was like oh it's fine um you know there's there's a there's a a plant-based alternative and there there is increasingly especially for junk food so that i think you know, if we're looking at how to get people on board with saving the world and, you know, it's in one respect ludicrous that we have to position that, we have to ask that question because, you know, it's, we're basically saving ourselves. The world will endure. It's the human race that will be wiped out. So, you know, how absurd that people have to be sold on this idea. But if we're looking at ways in which to do that, then, you know, Instagram-grammability is totally up there. And that's what vegan light plant-based whatever you want to call it has managed to pull off in the in the you know the past year two years max really isn't it this is something i really like about your essay as well i mean i think we're both being a a, a little bit cynical maybe about some of these marketing efforts but you do (laughs) say quite clearly you know if it if it becomes profitable to do this and that has this positive effect environmentally then great fantastic it kind of doesn't matter if you're doing it to be cool Mm. or because you have a deep abiding ideological commitment Mm. to to veganism the effect is going to be the same yeah Yeah. um but then that does take us to the big question yeah which is is this actually going to help us stave off climate change i know it's yeah and i think it it, you, you know the one aspect of it that that suggests that it's we're still not really biting we're still not biting the bullet is that you know it is all about substitutes it it peddles the illusion that we can carry on consuming as we do and making the lifestyle choices that we do without making the sacrifices and without cutting down and and really you know sustainable consumption is only sustainable up to a certain point and that point is is you know we're fast overtaking that point and and I think you know we all need to consume less of everything but nobody's re- you know how do you sell that on Instagram yeah I suppose min- minimalist blogs minimalist. there's a lot of kind uh, of yeah, yes, living yes. with less yeah Marie Kondo yeah yeah, yeah. until you realize that you've thrown away everything that you actually needed you, and actually you have to repurchase it yeah doubling <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is um as well when you spoke earlier about meat replacement or mm. kind of imitation meat products and I always get a little bit frustrated sometimes around this because people kind of go well if you're making a sausage it 
you know it just looks like a sausage yeah. and i sort of go well sausages don't appear in nature this is just a good shape to put things in yeah but there is a case to be made and um I suppose people who come from the school of veganism where they've read things like the sexual politics of meat and they're very clued mm. up on ideas around meat eating, they would go, well, I don't want to imitate the things that are mm. a little bit grotesque and maybe maybe are in their minds linked to this idea mm. of just taking from the world. I mean, you don't mm. have to think very carefully to see the case you could make between feeling entitled to eat animals and feeling entitled to other things from the planet yeah. and that's not yeah. you know necessarily my perspective but yeah, I have course. sympathy from for people Absolutely. who have been vegans for decades yeah. and now kind of go really is it all about this yeah. burger looks like it's got real blood in it like the Byron not yeah. Byron sorry really, honest the, burger yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and the impossible burger yeah. and yes. you know it's huge business um but and yes I you know I have a lot of sympathy with that point of view um, so, you know, something like, I think it's Honest Burger who put out a burger that's intended to look like it's kind of oozing blood. Yeah, yeah it, it bleeds. One of the burgers bleeds, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a little bit of a... It raises quite a difficult politics around food. And again, this is something you you come to in your, your essay. Yes. I mean, I almost felt there was a whole other essay to be had in the, the fake meat. I mean, clean meat is obviously a very contested term, but fake meat, mock meat, um, because it's... It's such an enormous topic. And, you know, it, that also shows how, um, you know, big business can be, if, if harnessed, can be quite instrumental in, in changing people's views and making them greener as consumers in a way that um, policy hasn't really caught up with. You know, they're doing it for money, sure. So, again, their, their motivations are not necessarily ecologically pure. But if it gets people reducing their meat consumption, which it has been shown, of course, is one of the main things that you can do. Um, if you want to reduce your carbon imprint, um, then that's great. Yeah, I mean, I wrote an essay on this a couple of years ago for Prospect about why we should be embracing food technology. Mm. Um, and it was something I was a little bit anguished about because mm. there is a case, like you say, that you need to become more local. You need mm. to go back to what they call slow food mm. rather than fast food or mm. things made in labs or grown and yeah. kind of hydroponic you know, yeah, yeah. LED lights. Yeah, yeah. and it, you know, it's it's furthering our alienation from the natural world, which is sort of what's got us into this mess in the first place. It could be argued, but then you also have um, what activists call greenwashing. So yeah. you talk about soya milk, for instance, yeah. and people might swap to soya milk or other forms of substitute milks and nut milks, mm. things like that under the impression that mm. they are far better for the planet than cow's milk, but Actually, it's not as simple yeah. as that. It's, no, it's, it's immensely complicated. And I think the more you look at these questions, the more defeated you get because everything is so interconnected. And I think it's our failure to grasp how every decision, even a small personal domestic one, is connected to the bigger picture that has, you know, again, it makes us so sort of passive in, in the face of climate change. But, but you know, certainly almonds, not great. It depends where the almonds are grown. Um, they can see almond trees consume huge amounts of water lots of them are farmed in california so you know that's a net definitely a cross for them um soy i guess you know soy is a monocrop it's the thing they are one of the the positive um fads i think to have come about in the past decade was you know the embrace of organics and they've gone quite mainstream but that argument seems to have been completely forgotten in the rush to become vegan and 
a lot of it is soy based and these are not by and large organic products and soy industrially grown is a is what's called a monocrop and it's not very good for the soil it's, it's planted in the same field year after year after year um which also means that the the food supply uh system is is vulnerable to um disease and pests so you know think irish potato famine um this is taking me back to the full crop rotation yeah, in primary like, school well, <laughs> you see we we used to people used to know they used to under they had an innate understanding of of what was needed to keep the soil healthy exactly it's exactly that i'm seeing um, our producers not asking me to explain that which is good because if you're a british school child you had to learn about you had to learn about dull, crop rotation corn laws corn laws mm, yeah oh yeah um but you know on the other hand the cow's milk the, the cows are probably fed on soy right that's the other thing unless they're pasture pasture raised organic cows so it, it's you know which is which is worse um and actually that keys back into the mock meat because although generally it has a you know mock beef lab produced beef has a way less large carbon imprint than the real thing but when you look at chicken um you know you're better off eating chicken but you know have a no you just don't want to look into how that chicken has been raised because that is just hideous I mean in terms of a, of, of a humane response chicken is among the worst actually it's just awful introducing Wondersuite from bluehost.com website creation is hard but now with bluehost you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique wordpress website or store right away from there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And it, it comes back to topics we've sort of been touching on, doesn't it, which is cost and time and pleasure mm. because I know, I do, yeah i mean ideally you're probably best off buying your own goat and milking her okay probably, I'm, I'm not i'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to i don't have a, i don't have a garden so. but even maybe one step away from um keeping a goat on on the scraps in the garden yeah. you know if you if you go to your local farmer's market yeah. you if you're lucky enough to have a, a farmer's market near you yeah. you can get you know unpasteurized milk that you in know comes bottles. from cows yes. that have had but that's much more expensive than yes, going to a supermarket and buying your, your two pints yes. of milk. And so... But which then becomes a sort of elitist conversation, doesn't it? But on the other hand, I think if we all had less well, and better yeah. and also spent, you know, really, you know, perhaps, hey, perhaps you could not take that long haul holiday and, you know, you'd be win-win there. And it's, um, I think there, there's a question about 
tech and then there's mm. this question about lifestyle one of the things i always come back to and i have to phrase this very carefully because i don't mean it in a this is a bad thing that's happened within our homes but people are spending fewer hours per household cooking yes and that is mostly because women have gone into the workplace so you yes. used to have somebody who did that domestic work at home um now you probably don't so the question is if you're going to eke out a chicken over the course of a week mm. rather than have chicken breast fillets every mm. night which is much easier and quicker to do who who is going to do yeah. that work yep. and i know there's research on young people maybe don't have the food skills to mm-hmm reduce what they're using to use up leftovers mm-hmm. all of these I mean we joke about the full crop rotation but they're quite old-fashioned yeah. skills in some ways yeah. now and uh, alongside going green we might have to to relearn some of those things yeah yeah it, yeah it's interesting because I mean the, the solutions that are being bandied around are, are, are so extreme aren't they it's either you know raise your own pigs and slaughter them yourself or it's it's the mock meat, which I mean, I sort of vaguely went into the piece, but wish I'd had space to go into more. It raises all sorts of um, nightmarish dystopian spectres, you know, including having a plate of food which is all patented. I mean, that's just that's not great for food security either. Tell us a bit more about that because they work in very different processes, don't they? So mm. it's sort of growing. You do have to initially take tissue off an animal. That's correct. That's isn't it? that's what I think is correct. But yes, this is what I mean. I, I sort of wanted an entire other piece on it because then I could have gone off and quizzed these presumably chemists who are at work. Yeah, I, I interviewed um, one in a, who's in an Israeli lab about four yeah. or five years ago. Well, there is an Israeli lab that's trying to 3D print this meat Yeah, well, and doing is, and they're, they're very good at it. If it runs off, I'm going to sound off on this. I'll have to link the piece below the podcast rather yeah. than inaccurately remember my own writing um but i think it's they they harvest a very small amount from an animal and then they can yeah yeah, essentially multiply it um but i also spoke to philosophers of food who Mm. said you know we don't have hundreds of years to change our habits Mm. people don't like to feel they have to give things up so it may be that which is i suppose where veganism comes in and gets it right because it's all about options and choices and having more 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 yeah rather than denying um so we've we're completely baffled at this point so that's helpful isn't it i know how much do we know about what um i mean i will just say it's very it is lots of it is quite new technology so that's the other thing you know will there be time for this technology to 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 become uh successful enough that it can actually feed a growing population a still growing population um and it's not even there and that's the other thing because it's 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 all patented nobody quite knows this is not public research so nobody entirely knows how realistic some of this mock meat is although of course i mean if you really wanted to get into it the other the other argument which i came across which i was quite interested in was you know what about cannibalism because you know if it's lab grown but it's human flesh so that's the other. <laughs> wow. Well, have you seen the um, the brand of um, meal substitute that they call Soylent? Yes. Which is yes. sort of the Silicon Valley, yep. you know, tech it bros. Thing, like, yeah. like there's one called Huel, but there's one yes. called Soylent, there which is, of yeah. course is yep. Soylent Green is People. Exactly. Um, I, think, I always think it's quite funny they've chosen it as their name. Yeah. But away from the, the difficulty of knowing precisely how it would work and, you know, the Um, obscurity and how much do we know about what meat is doing to the planet and therefore what can we say about what cutting back might do 
yes, all the indications are that all the research agrees that it will make a big difference. Um, there are there, there are a few sort of left field studies that say um, perhaps not exclusively veganism, perhaps flexitarianism. So largely vegan, but with an occasional um, very carefully sourced, uh, so therefore expensive, of course, but, you know, maybe once a month treat, uh, steak, that sort of thing. Um, and actually that, that there is a, there's an interesting British writer and farmer named Isabella Tree, whose book um, called Wilding, I think it was, came out um, last year, the year before, won a big award. Um, and she's actually a farmer. She was apparently not, you know, not particularly minded towards ecological causes, but largely from a point of view of making the farm work financially, decided to go the route of pasture raised, free, free, free range um, livestock um, and has seen an extraordinary result in biodiversity boosting in their land down in Sussex. Um, and she had this one, one point in the book where she says, um, you know, she, the, the soil was largely, was largely dead. It wasn't in a good place when they made the switch. But, you know, now, 10 years or so later, she managed to find, and I've got the figure here, she managed to find, where was it? Um, 23 species of dung beetles in one cow pat, <laughs> including one that hadn't been in Sussex, seen in Sussex for decades. So this very rare dung beetle all of which you know it's an amusing it's an amusing little tidbit but is really vital for biodiversity and that's again something that has been lost in this argument along with the organic uh, strain of discourse yeah i don't know if you've ever read um jonathan saffron foer's book eating animals yeah. where he talks about visiting a turkey farm where they try and actually raise the animals sustainably and how i'm kind of just treating this as a therapy session about my own eating habits <laughs> now but that it's so tricky it to is find those producers and make it a convenient part of your life yep. i don't know it's a, it's almost a struggle for the consumer as well to really, know where to go really and is. what is the right thing yeah and you know you've got to think about packaging and transportation and yeah i know i have i you know again i don't even know if this is the right thing to do but i have largely massively cut down on milk so often you know in tea and coffee i will now have the the barista blend wow whatever it is the, you know oatly or which is apparently better than on the sustainability front oatly is apparently better than the almond milk or the, the soy milk it does sometimes the make more you feel a bit, into it a bit hopeless it doesn't it does, it? so yeah. i get this thing which if you live in london you can get as well in fact you should dm me i'll give you the discount codes and yeah. um, called Oddbox, where yeah. it's fruit and veg they couldn't sell in supermarkets or two supermarkets yeah and you get a little selection of stuff yeah. that would otherwise be chucked out and you know they tell you how much water was used to produce it and it's shocking oh, right. yeah. but I kind of sit there with my veg box and go I'm, I'm really glad I bought this but I'm one person in a yeah. little flat in South London yeah. and you look at these huge huge farms you look at you know US corn farming mm. massive cattle mm. ranches across Australia and whole swathes of the planet who don't have enough to eat mm. and, and food production is going to be a real problem in you can feel a little bit like a very small part of a very mm. big yeah, disparity. Which I, you know, again, I suppose that's why we, we should be thankful for this plant-based revolution because it, it's, you know, it's very peppy. It's very boosterish. It's very positive. And it's all about, you know, zesty flavours and intensity and which is something that, that can become 
is, is scarce in this conversation, isn't it? So I suppose we should thank them for that. Taking pleasure in food yeah. maybe is our is yeah. our route forward. Well, maybe we can finish on that slightly more optimistic note. Hipspar, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. And that's all from us this week. Thank you for joining us here on the Prospect interview. You can read Hepzibah's feature on what we call the Green New Meal, thank you, in this month's issue of Prospect out on newsstands now. And finally, if you enjoyed our podcast, please do leave us a rating and a review. It really does help other people find it. Goodbye and see you next week. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.